Hello and welcome to Leanne Ward Nutrition, a podcast where you will find expert advice on all things health and nutrition related. Each week, we will discuss my three niche areas of gut health, emotional eating and sustainable fat loss. My hope for this podcast is to cut through the BS online and show you real, practical and evidence-based messages around nutrition so you can live your best life day in and day out. So sit tight, buckle up and let's get started on today's podcast. Michelle Theodosi is an accredited practicing dietitian and sports dietitian with a specialty in eating behaviours, gut health and performance nutrition. Michelle works with clients both one-on-one from her private practice in Sydney and also consults online. Michelle is also the founder and face behind The Lifestyle Dietitian, a popular Instagram dedicated to promoting confidence and empowerment around forming healthy habits without the restriction, whilst also maintaining a positive mindset around food. When Michelle is not talking about food, she can be found cooking food, eating food, or feeding food to her French bulldog who frequently features on her Instagram. Make sure you guys head on over to at the lifestyle dietitian underscore au on Instagram and give Michelle a follow. We hope you enjoy today's podcast. And if you do, please make sure that you repost the episode in your Instagram stories and tag us so you can share it with your tribe and we can also share it with ours. Michelle, welcome to the podcast. I'm super, super excited to have you on today. We recently went to Japan together and we just got on so fabulously. I think what we do is is very similar. So I'm so excited to have you on as our, our guest expert today. Oh, thank you, Leanne. I am really glad to be here. Now, I think just the first question I wanted to sort of um, ask you about, like you did an undergrad in psychology. I find that so fascinating. I'm just obsessed with um, human behavior and especially the behavior of eating as well. So what sort of led you into, I guess, dietetics if you did your undergrad within psychology? So to be completely honest, I had no idea uh, that dietitians even existed when I first started uni. (laughs) I just knew that I wanted to work with people. And similarly to you, I was very, very fascinated by human behavior and sort of what makes us do what we do and how can we actually influence and change that. Um, So I studied psychology and um, through that degree, I also did a lot of subjects in science And um, one of those being um, biochemistry, and that's really where I first was introduced to um, the metabolic pathways and, you know, how food works on a a molecular level. And I became obsessed and I um, was doing a bit of research and I just found this article about what a dietitian does in a day. And through reading that, I sort of was just thinking, you know, if I could talk about food all day and talk about it in a way that's going to leave people feeling better, then I'd probably be pretty fulfilled in my job. So I finished um, my undergrad in psychology and then went on to do the Master's in Nutrition and Dietetics. Um, I'd recommend to any any student that has the opportunity to um, take just even some subjects in psychology. It's been super beneficial even now in practice, just taking some of those skills around counselling and around understanding sort of the models of behavior change and applying them with the the nutrition knowledge. Mm, It's so powerful, isn't it, counseling? And that's what dietitians are. We're we're basically just counselors at the end of the day. Like a lot of people come in and people generally know what healthy eating is or what they kind of shouldn't shouldn't be eating, you know, but it's really that behavior change that gets them at the end of the day. And that's where we come in, I guess, as counselors, isn't it? Like it's such a powerful skill to have. Exactly right. Exactly right. Most people come in, you know, nobody really walks through the door, not, not knowing what they should and shouldn't be doing. You know, sometimes it's, it's actually, they have too much information and that can be a problem in itself. It's just so complicated and more confusing than it needs to be. Um, and I think us as, as health professionals through that, that counselling is really identifying okay, where they are and giving them the right information to suit where they are at that, at that stage. You know, if somebody's just thinking about making a change and you're loading them up with all this information, um, sometimes at the worst it can actually set them back. So I think it is extremely important and um, and a good skill to have. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's what a lot of people find with social media. Like it's given us so many wonderful things, but it can be really, really overwhelming, can't it? Like I just get so many people that come to me and they're just so confused. Like they're like, I thought I was eating healthy or I thought I was doing the right thing. And I like now I have no idea. And I'm sure you probably see the same in your clinic. You know, I get people like I, I turn them the worried well. There's absolutely nothing wrong with them. They're doing everything right. And social media 
media has told them that there's something wrong with them or that they're doing something wrong. And so they get all caught up in it and they get so confused and they, they end up in my clinic. Absolutely. And and just like you said, social media, for all the good things it has, you know, it just, it, it does have a lot of, um, you know, just new ideas and, and inspiring messages. But at the same time, there's so many of those and, and so many different um, types of those that people can sometimes feel like they need to be doing everything at once, um, when really it's just sort of the same message wrapped up in a different way. Um, and when we become so bogged down on the details, um, we can feel like we're at a loss of sort of what the core or the foundations of, of what we should be doing are, and we become so obsessed with those little um, tweaks, those sort of two percenters that instead of sort of the, the core part of, of, of what really is important. Mm. And I loved what you said about um, the behavior change. Like you've got to start with where somebody is. So I'd love for you to tell our listeners more about that, um, you know, that stage of change where somebody may or may not be starting at the very, um, you know, the very start of the stage of change where they're sort of maybe just thinking about eating healthy or maybe just thinking about changing their lifestyle around. Or maybe they've got, you know, a large amount of weight to lose um, because they've just been diagnosed with diabetes or something like that. So can you tell our listeners a little bit more about that sort of stage of change? change and where where people might sit along that? Yeah, absolutely. So that's sort of described as the the trans-theoretical model of change where people are sort of at these five stages and and it's more of a cycle. They sort of can move, you know, back and forth across these stages. But like you said, sometimes people um, are are really just thinking or or even sort of pre-contemplating making a change. So it's, it's not really on their radar. Um, and that might be the stage where you see somebody because, you know, their friend has pushed them through the door or the wife has dragged the husband in to see you, but (laughs) to them, it's not even on their radar. You know, they, they don't, they don't feel that there's any changes they need to make. You know, they might not be feeling great, but they haven't quite linked it up with something that they can actually, um, control or do something about. Um, so at that stage, you know, giving them information isn't really going to be helpful, but more just some probing questions and understanding the person and understanding what it is in themselves at that point that they may actually um, not be feeling their, their, their best within. So just getting them to sort of maybe, um, you know, thinking about some ideas around areas that they feel they, they might want to change. Um, and it can take time, you know, it might be, you know, weeks, months, even years before they, they move to that stage where they're just contemplating it and they're going, you know what, I, I could do something about this, but I'm not quite sure what. Um, and then they can move into preparation. And this is often when people come through through the door. It's like, you know, they, they might have tried a few things. Um, you know, they might have sought information in, in different avenues, whether it was, you know, looking online or, or speaking to somebody else, a friend, but they haven't quite been able to apply anything. Um, and that's usually when people come through the door and, and, and want to really make a change. Um, and when somebody's in that action or that sort of doing phase, it's really about finding something that's going to work with them long term. So starting this, this journey in a way that they, they see themselves finishing it rather than starting with a whole heap of, of changes that aren't sustainable, um, which can sometimes set them right back to that, that pre-contemplation. Um, and then once they go through that, you know, and that, that action phase, you know, it can go on for a really long time, but eventually, you know, you want to move through to just maintaining and the changes you've made, you know, the habits you've formed, the behaviours that you've worked towards are now just part of your everyday sort of automatic um, routine. And, and that really is where somebody doesn't feel as if they're, they're working, you know, against the current or they're, you know, they're on a specific diet or they're working on a plan. It's just this is what I do and this is what I do to leave myself feeling my absolute best. Wonderful. And I loved how you explained to the listeners the different stage of change. So for anybody that might be listening at home or in the car, if you know somebody that's more in that pre-contemplation stage or that contemplation stage, it's not an it's not good enough to sort of just give them a whole heap of recipes and, and ideas and say you should be doing this or you should be doing that, because that person probably isn't in the same stage of change where you are. You might be in that preparation or that action stage where you're actually 
actively making changes in your lifestyle, but they're just not quite there yet. So Michelle, for somebody who might be in that sort of contemplation stage or not really even thinking about it, you mentioned like the the wife that drags the husband into clinic, or maybe there are some mums out there who have some, you know, teenage daughters and they really want them to get them to start thinking about healthy eating, but you know, they teenagers just don't want to borrow it. What would be your suggestions for um, people out there if they've got loved ones that are really in that pre-contemplation stage at the moment? How would they support them in terms of um, a healthier lifestyle? Absolutely. So I think like you said, is is not not pushing um, or, or forcing, but gentle nudges. So it, it may be just around discussion and and you know and having conversations around um, sort of how you where you want to be, but not in a not in a, a, a way that is, you know, this is a goal that I'm, I'm setting for you, but sort of where do you want to be and how do you want to feel? And just getting them thinking about that ideal and then comparing it to where they are now. Um, and often by thinking about uh, so, sort of that disconnect, it can start to bring up um, certain thoughts around, you know, what are some things that we, we can be doing and I think that the support from, say, a wife or a friend can really be around building up that, that confidence in, in doing that and also the self-efficacy, so the belief that, that you can do that. So um, rather than pushing somebody, it's nudging and supporting and, and, and using those words of encouragement to build that, that internal drive in somebody to then move through to the next stage. Mm. And even I love that um, that question you said, like, how do you feel? Even just if that's a starting place for somebody, like, how do you feel? And they can identify that, you know, maybe their digestion isn't great or their skill isn't great or they just don't have much energy throughout the day. Even that's just a really powerful conversation starter. You don't have to go on any longer because just let that person dwell on that question and they'll go home and they'll think about how they feel. And they might still be in that pre-contemplation stage, but that might be enough to move them into actually thinking about, you know what, I don't feel great day to day and I don't have a lot of energy. Maybe there is something I can do about that and give them a few days, a week, a month, even a year. And they'll come back to you and they'll just sort of say, you know, I've been thinking about the question that you asked me. And that way it comes from them. And as you said, that internal drive, they want to change because we can never make somebody change. And I think that as dietitians, sometimes we want to change the world, don't we? And we want to help everybody. Absolutely. Yeah. But, but I guess we just, we can't. And people, long lasting change never happens unless it comes from within and unless that person wants to change. And one of the first things they taught us in, you know, in dietetic school was you can never change a family member. And, you know, try <laughs> as hard as we might. It's so true, isn't it? We can't change loved ones. <laughs> Absolutely not. I was going to add to that just around sort of getting somebody um, to sort of see some of the the drivers for them, you know, a nice little exercise that I tend to do when I, I do identify somebody it might be more at the sort of that contemplative stage, but, you know, is, is, is asking them, you know, if they if they feel their health at this point is, is a limiting factor in, in their life and just going through some of the ways that it may be and then actually getting them to um, sort of quantify where they're sitting at that point in terms of their their motivation and desire to make changes to overcome that. You know, and I, I might sometimes get them to actually write on a scale, you know, from, from 1 to 10, like where are you? And then using whatever point they are, it doesn't matter if they're at a 2 or if they're at an 8, but using that to determine what their drivers are, like why, why are they at 2, why are they not at 1? why that eight, why aren't they at five? And that starts to build their own script because they have to come up with it of, of why this is important, no matter how small or large the importance is. Um, and then you can also start to identify um, on the other end what some of those barriers are. Like if they are at an eight, okay, great, but, but why not 10? You know, what are those perceived barriers? What are the challenges? You know, what are the fears? What are the self-doubts? And it's just a really nice way to build a script um, that they're directing. So I find that's that's a nice um, a nice little tool to use. Wonderful. And I think that's such a such a powerful tip for our listeners at home. If you have loved ones out there who you desperately, you can see that they need to change or they need to improve their health. They might have a certain medical condition or something like that, or they just, you know, you might just see all the things that they're doing wrong rather than telling them, you know, you should be doing this or you should be doing that. Start with, as Michelle said, just an open conversation. Like, how do you feel? Why do you feel that way? What might perhaps, um, you know, if you looked into an alternative future, how would you like to feel? And then 
what are those barriers to change or how do you see yourself getting there or but it needs to come from them doesn't it that's the most powerful thing they have to write that script for themselves that is the most important thing absolutely I love I'm loving this chat about behavior change so that sort of brings me to my next question which is really about sustaining um long lasting change. So I think for a lot of people, they get this really big burst of motivation. They start a new thing. It's all going great. And then something happens, you know, life gets in the way, they fall off the wagon, they're back to their old habits. What are some wonderful tips today that you have for our listeners about sustaining long lasting change? Yeah. Great, great question. So exactly like you said, often we, we dive into things, um, in a way that is, is so far removed from what our usual day-to-day is. And whenever we go from, you know, zero to a hundred, um, it often doesn't last very long. You know, I, I work with a lot of, um, uh, elite endurance, um, runners and I sort of see them in a similar way. We just had the Gold Coast, um, marathon on the weekend and I was speaking to a lot of them after that. And I was speaking to one of my clients in particular and she said, you know, I, 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 I did better than I did last year, but, but I feel like I could have, I, I didn't reach my full potential because I took off too fast. You know, I started too quick and it wasn't sustainable. And it's the same way with some of these behaviors. You know, I always say start the way that you you see yourself finishing, but also take it in steps. You know, if you have 100 things you want to do, great. You might write down that long-term goal, but don't focus on it. Focusing on it can be overwhelming. It can stress you out and then Mm -hmm. you end up not doing any of it. So just start with what is step one. As small, as simple as it is, just start there. And like you said, try to make a habit. Try to form a behavior around it. Um, whether that is, um, you know, changing your environment, changing um, your practices, being consistent, doing it daily, um, writing things down and ticking it off or giving yourself little rewards along the way um, to sort of try to set that in stone. Um, but just start with one step. And once that sort of becomes a bit more concrete, moving on to the next one and, and sort of layering it up, rather than feeling like you need to just dive in at the end. Um, That can be really, really helpful. I love that. And I think that's what a lot of people don't do. As you said, you know, we get so motivated and we want to do everything at once. But I think people forget that it takes a really long time to integrate that into their lifestyle. Like people come to me and they're like, I want to lose 10 kilos in six weeks. I'm like, wonderful. All right, let's start with where you came from. How long did it take you to put on the 10 kilos that you want to lose? They're like, oh, the last five years. I'm like, okay, so you want to lose 10 kilos in six weeks, but it took you five years to slowly gain those 10 kilos. Let's stop and think for a second. And I guess that's the same with sort of like um, behavior change as well. People just want to do everything right then and there, but they forget that it took them a really long time to perhaps get into some of these bad habits that they need to break. Like some people, for example, if you don't eat really many vegetables at dinner at all, saying that you're going to eat like five cups of vegetables at every lunch and every dinner for the rest of your life might not be sustainable. Maybe just starting with, I'm going to add extra veggies to my dinner on a Tuesday night. Maybe just that's a great place to start. And as you said, just continuously building on that. And then I love um, using a tick list as well, because I remember listening to a podcast um, talking about the activity in your brain. And when you tick things off, it gives you those like rush of endorphins and it makes you happy. And it just makes you feel so accomplished, even if it's just like the smallest little thing. So I'm such a huge fan of using tick lists every single day. I am too. I, I don't know if that's a dietitian thing, but I think we're very much forced <laughs> because we're sort of internally driven to just sort of feel like we're accomplishing these little things each day. But yeah, it does it does make a difference. I think even, you know, ticking it off is huge, but but even just writing it down so you can see it. So it's out of your head. So it doesn't it doesn't feel as sort of messy and overwhelming, but it, it's it's um it's visually accomplishable. So so writing things down um is is extremely helpful also. And that brings me back to a lot of people say to me like, oh, how are you so motivated to do what you do? How are you so motivated to eat healthy? And I always say to them, it's not about motivation. Like motivation only gets you so far. It comes back down to my routines and habits. Like these are just things that I wake up and I do every single day because I've learned over time to just integrate that into my life. I don't rely on motivation because if motivation is the only thing that you rely on, whatever you're trying to change, it's never going to last, is it? Because motivation runs out eventually, doesn't it? That's right. That's right. I think I think you really hit the nail on the head by saying, you know, making it a part of your, your daily habits and your routine. Um, it, it it doesn't uh, it, it doesn't require you to rely on that motivation, which can come and go. You know, there's there's waves. Um, but but as you mentioned, if it's part of that that day to day, something you're doing consistently, um, often it's something that you your body naturally um, has a desire for. 
You know, we see changes, for example, we see changes in our, in our gut microbiome based off what we're eating, which encourages us to eat more of that. So, you know, if you, if you aren't eating very many vegetables and you start to eat a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more, you get to a point where eating vegetables is nowhere near as difficult as it was at the start because there's changes to your taste buds and your taste preference so that they don't taste as bitter anymore. There's changes to, to what you're craving and, and how your body goes with digesting those foods so it's, it's not as uncomfortable. So um, I think that's something to remember at the beginning is it feels difficult and, and, and like a real challenge now, um, but it's not always that way. And even just sort of reminding yourself of that can, um, can help with, with the motivation and drive um, at, the, at the start. Definitely. And you can see how that's, it's pretty easy, I guess, to do when you're just really focusing on one or two goals. But if you're trying to change everything about your lifestyle all at once, it becomes really overwhelming. And that's when people, I guess, sort of fall off the wagon for lack of a better word, because they just, it's just too overwhelming. And instead of doing one thing or one, instead of doing the 20 things they had planned, they just end up doing nothing. So that's probably um, my biggest tip for my clients is if, they've, if they're starting from a place where everything just feels so overwhelming, pick one thing, one thing, and that is it and work on that every single day for four weeks until you just wake up and you do that thing. You don't even really have to think about it anymore and then pick another thing. So it might be start with just trying to drink more water throughout the day and reduce the amount of sugary drinks that you drink until water just becomes something that you reach for rather than going to the fridge and reaching for soft drink or something like that. And then try to add a few more veggies in or try to get a few extra steps in. But when you try to do all of that at once, it does. It becomes so overwhelming and it doesn't last and people fall off the wagon and they end up in this continual like yo-yo dieting cycle where they never really end up in that sustainable change. Or as we talked about the stages of change, that maintenance sort of stage of change where they're just doing that as part of their daily lifestyle. Would you agree? Absolutely. And I think I think what you mentioned there about just choosing one thing is, you know, what I what I like to work on a lot with my clients is identifying, you know, what what for them is that really small change that's going to elicit the, the biggest, the biggest difference in, in how they feel. And starting with that, because often once they achieve that and it, it was a small change, but it had this big impact. Um, motivation comes with doing and motivation for a lot of the clients that I work with, they they like to first see or feel a difference before they can actually um, allow themselves to, to believe, you know, well, I want to keep going or, or I want to continue to, um, to go through, um, to go through and, and make more changes. So I think it is important to just identify one thing, but make sure that the one thing you do choose is the, the first step for you that's going to see a good, a good result. Um, so like you said, it might just be as simple as just drinking more water or just getting up from your desk every hour and going for a short walk. Um, or like you said, just adding one veggie to your plate or bringing some chopped up veggies to work, you know, so just something small that you feel confident in achieving and will leave you feeling better at the end of it. Wonderful. And you mentioned, um, you know, the thing that's going to have the biggest impact. And sometimes I like to also think about that as like the lowest hanging fruit, like where's the thing that is going to make, you know, the, the biggest impact throughout your lifestyle, something that, as you mentioned, it has to be achievable. You don't want to set yourself up to fail, but what is that lowest hanging fruit? And for a lot of people, it's just more steps or more movement into their day. You know, they don't have to go and flog themselves at the gym for two hours every day. As you mentioned, they can just, they can do a 10 minute walk before work, get up from their desk at lunchtime, do a couple of laps of their building and do an extra 10 minutes after work, after work, or they can get off the bus stop or the train stop one stop earlier and just actively get in a few more steps. Like all of those things matter. But I think sometimes social media conditions us to sort of think if you're not doing everything, you may as well do nothing. And I think that's where a lot of people are. They're just paralyzed by this oversupply of information that they're just sitting there and, and, and not doing anything or they're trying to do everything, it might last a couple of weeks and then they're back to their old habits and their routines because it's just too hard to, to sustain everything all at once. Yeah, and now they also have the feelings of failure that come along with that. So not only are they back at the start, mm. but they're in a worse position from when they even began. But no, I couldn't mm. agree more with, with what you just said and I think that it is just about something to start with. You know, they might eventually, you know, end up, you know, doing what they set out to do, you know, whether it was, you know, some, um, you know, new fitness routine, but, but they're not going to begin there. They're just going to begin with moving more or sleeping more or drinking more water. Um, and, and it's, it's really just a reminder that it doesn't have to feel like hard work. One of the best things I love to hear when a client comes back is, you know, I, I don't really feel like I've been, I've been, you know, doing much different. I don't really feel like it's been that hard. 
but I feel so much better. And then they see the changes and they see the results, but they're still sort of confused going, but I really, you know, I've only just been doing a couple of things differently. So it it really doesn't have to be a huge amount of change, just a little bit consistently. Mm. And for our listeners at home, what do you see as some of those, um, I guess, lowest hanging fruit things for the majority of your clients? What are sort of the top two or three things that you, as a great starting place for most clients that you would see? I would definitely say sleep is a huge one that people under under underestimate what an impact that has on everything. You know, if you have goals to exercise more and be more active, um, if you're not sleeping and allowing your body to recharge to give you the the energy it needs the next day, um, you, you're starting on the back foot. You know, you're not going to feel like going for that walk in the morning if you didn't get into bed until you know midnight. Um, so sleep is definitely a huge one, not just for the energy perspective, but how it influences our appetite as well. You know, there's huge links mm-hmm. between lack of sleep and changes with some of those hunger hormones. And again, you're, you're fighting against yourself and you're really setting yourself up to fail if you're trying to manage, you know, um, cravings throughout the day. But the one thing you're doing at night is actually increasing those hormones that are going to give you the cravings. So I think sleep is 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 really uh, an important one and often one that almost everybody that walks through my door could improve on. So whether it is just setting a bit of a, a, a sleep um, alarm, similar to when we wake up and going, this is the time I'm going to aim to get in bed, and then changing some of their sleep hygienes around what they're doing before bed. Um, you know, are they on their screens? Are they getting a lot of blue light? You know, are they doing a lot of stimulating things that aren't allowing them to, to really relax and rewind um, and just changing some of those habits? Um, so sleep. And then and another one would definitely be um, around uh, water. You know, it's, it's you know, I can't say it enough. You know, hydration is, is huge in terms of how we feel both in, in our energy, um, but also in terms of um, our, our appetite. You know, if we are dehydrated and, and going for a snack because we feel like something to just moisten our mouth, when really we just needed a glass of water, um, it, it's not going to be great long term for your um, for, for your goals. Um, and then, and then thirdly, definitely veggies. <laughs> I feel like I talk about vegetables <laughs> so much. I sound like a broken record. Um, but you know, with veggies, you know, obviously it comes into the fiber that's in it and the fluid that's in it. It's it, it, they're designed to fill us up. And often when we don't have that that component or a large amount of that component in our meals, you know, we're filling up on other things. You know, we can get down on ourselves going, you know, why am I, um, you know, not reaching my goals? Um, I'm, you know, I'm having smaller meals or I'm, I'm eating good food. But if it's not, you know, proportioned with a good amount of those veggies, then then you're not going to, to feel satisfied um, in eating, you know, in, in what you're eating in the right amount. So um, that's just more so from a, um, a weight perspective, but then all the other benefits that come with it from a nutrition perspective is also huge. So, um, yeah, sleep, water and veggies. <laughs> Love it. And to touch on that veggie one, um, if somebody at home was listening and they're sort of thinking, I don't really love veggies or I'm a bit of a fussy eater, you know, I only like two or three veggies. What are some tips for your, our listeners um, to get them to eat more veggies or what are your favorite ways to prepare veggies so actually taste great? Because um, uh, Themis and I did a podcast the other day and we were talking about how if you're just going to steam your veggies, like more often than not, they're going to taste like crap and they're going to turn more people <laughs> off them. So what are your favorite ways, Michelle, to, I guess, hear vegetables and make them taste wonderful because we don't want to eat, you know, sloppy steamed vegetables. They're not going to taste great. What are your favorite ways of actually making them taste so good that people want to add them to their meals, actually want to do it? Well, I'm not going to pretend that I'm as great as a master chef as, as Themis, so I won't, I won't <laughs> compete in that, in that category. I'm sure, he that. Had, I'm sure he had much better um, tips of, of um, making, making these veggies taste great. Um, my, my first tip would be just don't overcomplicate it, you know, just start with, with where you are. What type of veggies do you already like and start to incorporate more of them? You know, keep it really simple. One of the, one of the most common um, strategies that goes, goes really well with, with my clients and they, they end up adopting is, is just bring some veggies to work each day. You know, and this is something you can do, you know, on a weekend. You might just, you know, chop up some carrots, some celery, some capsicum, or just buy punnets of cherry tomatoes because you don't have to do anything to them (laughs) and just bring some with you to work. 
Now, that might be something you have, you know, with your lunch, you can just snack on, or, you know, throughout the afternoon if you feel like something. Um, but just having them around will mean that you're eating more of them. Um, you know, in winter, it can be hard. You know, a lot of my clients coming in now as it's cooled down going, you know, you know, I was going great in summer. I love my salads, you know, loved all my fresh, cold veggies. But now it's winter and I just feel like something warm. And I actually put together a recipe. It sounds a bit gross. It's called a winter salad, um, but a, a warm winter salad. But it's actually just a soup that includes, <laughs> includes all of your, your sort of non-starchy veggies and just the fluid, you know, component. And um, I get them to make up a big batch of that and, and portion it into not meal serves, but just little side serves and put them in the freezer. And, and what they do is if they're packing a lunch um, or they're having dinner that night and it is just really their protein and their, their whole grain component and they haven't really thought through the veggies or, or they don't really have the veggies available, you know, grabbing one of those serves and heating it up and having that as a side to their, say, sandwich or having that as a, a little soup to have before they have their, their meal at night. Um, it's also a nice one that they can have as a warming afternoon tea, you know, rather than maybe going for another cup of coffee just because they want something warm. Um, so I think being creative in, in just having them ready and available um, and, and not overcomplicating it. Um, you know, I'm sure Themis would have given some tips around bringing out the flavours. You know, I'm a huge fan of extra virgin olive oil. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know if it's my Greek background, but I pretty much add it to everything. Um, mm -hmm. Not only is it a great way to bring out the flavours and make the veggies delicious, um, but it actually allows your body to absorb some of those fat-soluble nutrients that you wouldn't otherwise. Um, so it, it has a, a double benefit. Um, and then herbs. I'm, I'm, I'm a serial killer of my herb garden. I've finally got some successful ones that haven't died. But, but just even rather than just buying herbs when you need them, even just starting a little, a little herb garden. If you've got kids, do it with your kids and have it something that they can continue to sort of um, – um, um, tend to, but it's, it's good. Just having them there will encourage you to just, you know, add some basil with your tomato, see how that tastes or add some thyme with mushrooms, like best combination ever. Um, and it's just a great way to bring out flavor, um, mm -hmm. when you're having your veggies as well. Definitely. And rosemary, and as you mentioned, my, my vegetable garden is is long gone. But the one herb that seems to have managed to survive, no matter how hard I try to kill it, is my rosemary bush. So I have pretty much rosemary and that's about it in my herb garden. But rosemary is something that I love to add to just roasted veggies like pumpkin and carrots. When I'm roasting them in the oven, I just spray it with a bit of extra virgin olive oil and add some rosemary. Oh, oh it just makes it taste so much better, doesn't it? Absolutely. I think one of my all-time favorite um, mixed herbs is za'atar. I'm not sure if you've used if you use za'atar much it's yep. like a Lebanese mixed herb it's like based on like thyme it has some sesame seeds in there but you buy it already mixed up and that is anytime I make pumpkin it's like covered in za'atar anytime I'm just mm. roasting veggies that I think you know what I just want a bit more flavor I want to really taste flavor with this meal I want to feel really satisfied from that aspect I'll chuck something like that on so you know herbs and spices there's so much you can do um I, I don't think they're used uh, uh, enough yeah mm. Mm, and duck is another really good one, isn't it? Especially to add to pumpkin as well. Things like um, eggplant as well goes really nicely with. Absolutely. Yes. Oh, there's so many. I spend too much time. Um, <laughs> I've spent so, too much time in this, in the spice aisle, just looking at all the different things. <laughs> well, that's a great tip for our listeners today, guys. Next time you're at the supermarket, go down the spice aisle, pick up something that you maybe haven't used before, you haven't um, you haven't tried before, and just give a quick Google in terms of what vegetables fit really well with that type of spice, and and just try something new because you know your taste buds they grow and adapt all of the time. So maybe if you didn't like a vegetable when you were younger or even a few years ago. Give it a go now. Cook it in a different way. Put some different herbs and spices with it and see what you think because the best thing for our health and our gut health in general is that diversity of plants that we're eating in our diet. So the diversity of vegetables um, and salads that we're getting in. So wonderful tips there from Michelle. Um, and I guess that leads me into my next question or my next sort of um, concepts that I wanted to talk about was really around um, – emotional eating you know at the very beginning we said a lot of people they kind of know what to do they kind of know what they should be doing and things that you know aren't so great for us and things to eat in more moderation but a lot of the time it comes back to that that habit and that behavior change and a lot of people they say you know I try so hard I'm so good during the day but I get to nighttime I just I just eat everything out of the pantry I just eat everything out of the fridge so with your clients what sort of tips do you give 
um, for them to sort of deal with emotional eating. You know, they might have had a bad day at work. They might be feeling really, really stressed out or they might just be lonely on a Friday night. What sort of what sort of tips do you have there for our listeners, Michelle? So I think at the very beginning, it's really important to um, identify and separate what is true emotional eating and what is eating um, that is actually coming from maybe too much restriction across the day. So that that situation you described, you know, getting home from work, having dinner and then still not feeling satisfied and just sort of, you know, um, going through all the cupboards and feeling at a loss of control with, with your eating. Um, I find a lot of the time when we do break it down and when I go through, you know, what my clients are doing in a day, um, they may be starting their day in a really restrictive way going, you know, I'm, I'm not going to eat um, because I'm working towards this goal. But by doing that, you know, your body's really smart. It's intelligent. It's going to get what it wants. And if you don't give it <laughs> to your body in, in a way that it's going to be really beneficial earlier on in the day, it's going to get it in a really quick and easy way later on in the day. So I think that's, that's first is just distinguishing, are you actually getting enough earlier on in the day or are you setting yourself up to feel at a loss of control with your eating later on? Um, but, but there is definitely a huge component of, of non-hungry eating. I think it's like 70% of that non-hungry eating does come from those emotional drivers. So, so if that is something that you've identified is true, um, I, I think actually starting to, to create a bit of a, a, um, a, a dialogue with yourself that actually brings up what it is that you're, you're, you're actually needing met, you know, like you said, Sometimes we just feel like we need to eat. We know it's not hunger. You know, we've gone through and checked in with that and, and it's not physical hunger, um, but we don't know what it is. And I think identifying that that why, like what is it that I'm actually needing satisfied right now, whether it is, you know, I'm, I'm really tired or I'm really stressed out or I'm, I'm feeling lonely or something's happened at work that's just made me angry. Um, identifying that is really the first step because once you know what it is, you can then start to get creative in in what are some ways that is is going to be able to actually um, manage and address that root cause rather than food, which might give you that momentary sense of sort of just distracting yourself or or, or giving yourself another feeling of sort of discomfort and, and being uncomfortably full that, that takes your mind off it, but, but it, it ultimately doesn't last and those feelings come back. So I think getting to the, the root cause of it, and, and there's some useful tools you can use. You know, you can keep sort of a, a food and a thought journal where, you know, at the times where you're, you're going to eat, you might just write down, you know, how you're feeling in terms of hunger. There's an awesome app that helps with that if you don't quite have the questions yet. It's called, really simply, it's called Am I Hungry? Um, and you just open it up when you're not sure, and it will take you through some different prompts. Um, and then identifying, you know, is it an emotion, an emotional trigger or is it just your environment? Did you just see the Tim Tam sitting on the kitchen bench and cause you saw them now you want them or is it, is it something else and, and, and diving a bit deeper into that and coming up with some creative ways that you can try, you know, they might not work. You might go, okay, I'm feeling, feeling lonely. I'm just going to call mom, have a chat. And then mum makes you angry. <laughs> so it didn't work. You might try it again next time, but then you might go to something else. You might go, okay, well, I'm just going to, you know, I've got a, a beautiful dog. I'll go, I'm just going to give him like five minutes of cuddle time. And, you know, that might make me feel, you know, just lift my spirits a bit. Um, you know, if it's something like boredom, it might be okay. Well, just sort of sitting here and eating, it is giving me something to do, but, but it's not the only thing I could be doing. And when you are coming up with these other alternatives, write them down because it's likely that this situation is going to come up again in the future. And even if you just have the notes on the note section of your phone, you can just open it up and go, okay, well, this is something else that I can try. Uh, if it doesn't work, I've got something else that I can try. So I think that's a really, really um, useful tool. Wonderful. And there's some really, really great suggestions for our listeners. And I love suggesting, and, and as you said, depending on what the source of, of that emotional eating, is it emotional? Is it boredom? Is it linked to, as you said, just particular triggers like um, on nighttime, you know, ads on TV are the perfect triggers. I have a lot of people and they're like, I didn't want chocolate until I saw the ad for TV on chocolate. And that's all I can think about. I didn't want ice cream. And then an ad on the TV came on for ice cream. And now I can't get ice cream out of my head. So, you know, identifying what that trigger is, but I feel like for a lot of people it's immediately after they get home like you know nighttime eating after dinner is one thing but it's also that they get home from work and they're just so stressed but they don't actually realize how stressed they are they put their work bag down and they're straight in that pantry or they're straight in that fridge so 
What sort of importance do you, I guess, place on things like journaling and meditating straight after work? Because I feel like, and I'm sure that perhaps you have the same um, feelings, a lot of people are just living in this constant level of low stress, but they don't actually realize that they are. And so they're doing a lot of this non-hungry eating actually out of stress, but they don't realize that. Do you do you sort of feel the same? Yeah, absolutely. And and it's, it's, it's that stress, but also that that almost automatic sort of conditioned response that we can create. You know, I, I come home from work and I just automatically, it's like sort of robot mode, um, go to the pantry. So I find things like journaling, meditation, or whatever it may be for you that's going to allow you to create a, a pause or a gap between getting home and that automatic going to the pantry. Um, but something that's going to create a pause and actually allow you to to think about how you're feeling and bring that up. So I, I'm a huge, huge fan of um, you know mindfulness meditation, and, and I, I love it because it is so accessible today. It doesn't have to be something that you have to go to a class or spend a lot of time around or a lot of money around. You know, there's fantastic apps. I always go into apps, but there's an app for everything now. But I've sort of <laughs> narrowed down um, with my clients the ones that really do, um, really are helpful. You know, things like Calm or Smiling Mind or, or Headspace or, or something you can switch on that that only takes five ten minutes, um, but it's it's enough time for you to break that automatic going to the pantry, and also enough time, like you said, for those low levels of stress to to be um, thought about a little bit deeper around, well, what is it that I can actually do to, to help manage and address that? Um, in terms of um, journaling, so sometimes, and, and for some people this, this this works really well, for others they just don't like writing things down and that's when I'd say go to the, mm. the, the mindfulness, but, but putting pen to paper and not having any sort of plan but just maybe writing down like what you're doing right now and that might lead to how you're feeling and that might lead to really what what's going on that was driving you to go to the pantry. Um, if you haven't done it before, you know, there's no harm in just trying. So, you know, you might get home this afternoon and go, you know what, I'm just, I'm just going to sit down, might make myself a cup of tea and just get out a notepad and just write and see where it takes you. Um, or you might download an app and just give one mindfulness meditation and go and see how you feel. Um, there's, there's a lot of benefits to it. Um, and you know, I, I haven't seen or read or heard of any downside at all. So there's nothing you can lose. Mm -hmm. And I love that. And how you mentioned that, you know, journaling is not for everybody, especially if you might have a job where you just write all day, you might not want to come home and you might not want to write. So another strategy I like to give to some of my clients is um, just to use like a voice recorder on your phone or just the camera on your phone and record yourself just talking for three to five minutes about your day. You know, if you don't have anybody to debrief with about your day when you come home, do it on your phone. Record a video of yourself just for a few minutes talking about how great or how crappy your day was and rewatch it back and pretend that you're now giving advice to your sister or your best friend or your work colleague and you'll find yourself on camera saying, oh, I've had a really crap day. I'm just, I'm exhausted. I just want to, I just want to go to the pantry and eat some chocolate because I know it'll give me the energy pick me up that I need. And then you watch that back and what advice would you give yourself? You'd say, hey, look, um, you know, hey, look, Michelle, you know, I know you've had a really rough day at work, but perhaps, you know, a really long, hot shower would be really soothing or comforting. Or maybe if you're feeling a little bit stressed and uptight, maybe if you went for a 10 minute brisk walk, just around the block, nothing crazy. You don't have to go to the gym. Just go for a walk to the end of the street and come back. And I promise you that you'll feel so much better. So as you said, just getting those thoughts out of your head on paper makes them more real and it makes them easier to, I guess, come up with solutions for and record yourself and listening to yourself back, it has the same um, sort of, it, it does the same sort of thing. Like it just allows yourself to give yourself feedback in that less judgmental way. Whereas if you're trying to sort of rationalize your thoughts up in your head, a lot of the times we're really quite harsh on ourselves, aren't we? It can be really difficult to rationalize things when they're just stuck up in our head. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a great idea. And it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be that writing, you know, for, for all we know, writing might be the thing that is stressing you out. So, so it is getting creative, but, but the ultimate goal is, is taking it from your head, putting it somewhere where you can see it, hear it, and actually do something about it. And I love that idea of presenting it as, as, as somebody that you're giving advice to. 
um, because we do give advice in a really compassionate way to others, mm. but when it's ourselves, often it's it's quite judgmental and and um, and, and not as and not as positive. So so framing it in a different way can be really helpful, mm-hmm. and especially for females as well. I find that we're we're just so loving and compassionate to other people, but we're just so hard on ourselves, aren't we? Like we expect perfection from ourselves and nothing less, don't we? That's right. That's right. And, and you know, and there's no such thing as perfection because the target continues to move. You, there's really no way of actually um, of actually getting there in, in, in a way that you're going to feel, feel good. So, so, so sort of realigning, realigning those goals. So we talked about some wonderful tips for if you, you know, you're getting home and sort of the after work eating is something that you struggle with. Now, what about the nighttime sugar cravings? Because they're probably, again, questions that I get asked a lot of the time. And I guess we touched on it a little bit. Um, Do you have any more tips for our listeners around, um, I guess, really, you finish your dinner, you know, you're not hungry, like you've just had your dinner, but you can't get that craving for sugar, sort of, you can't get rid of that craving for sugar. What sort of tips do you give your clients around that? Yeah, yeah. So it is a really, really common one. And I think it the, the first thing and the most important thing is identifying where that craving is coming from. Again, it's some people just have built this this habit, whether it's been something they've always done, you know, I finished dinner, I have something sweet, that they're not actually um, craving it. You know, they don't actually have a desire for it. It's just almost this, this automatic script they've created. Finish dinner, grab some chocolate. Um, so I think that would be the first thing. Identify what it is that's, 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 that's driving that. Is it a true craving? Um, you know, if it is that, that craving, why, you know, are you not allowing yourself any of these foods any other time? And, and after dinner is that, that time that you're really restricting it to. And if that's the case, it might actually be, you know, incorporating some things earlier on in the day, um, in, in a really positive ways that, that you're going to enjoy. Um, and, and if you are feeling that um, after dinner is that time for you, it might be, again, back to what we mentioned before, is, is creating a new environment or changing that environment um, to, to help. So, you know, you finish dinner and you might always sit on the couch. And it's, it's not that you crave chocolate, it's that sitting on the couch sends this little bell, like Pavlov's dog, that goes, okay, chocolate comes with this. So it might be finishing dinner and just going to a different room. And then you might, you know, go through and do a different activity. Um, if that craving though is genuinely coming just from this, this desire for a, t- a taste of something, um, and as long as it's not just a habit, but it's, I actually really feel like a bit of chocolate tonight, like chocolate you know, tastes great. Um, you know, don't, don't not allow yourself that, but when you do approach the food, approach it from a place of, this is not something I'm needing to, to fill me up. This is not something I'm needing for any nutritional value. It's something I want for the taste and the enjoyment of. And when we eat for enjoyment, it's very different to eating for, for nutrition and fuel. So, you know, there's, you know, lots of um, t- templates you can look online around mindful eating and the steps around that, which really just get you to enhance all of your senses around eating, you know, looking at the food, the appearance, the smell. And then when you do taste it, not just sort of chewing once and swallowing it, but actually allowing the flavors to, to oversaturate and, and really um, enhance that whole flavor and, and eating experience. So chocolate's a great one. You know, when you have some chocolate, um, it changes form. You know, it goes from a solid to like a, a semi-liquid. And if you let it melt in your mouth and really focus on the changes in taste and texture and how the sweetness really becomes overpowering, by the time you go for the second bite, you might already have, have capped out the enjoyment you needed. And because you've identified it's not hunger, you might decide to stop there. You know, and there's nothing wrong with with doing that and having the food, but make sure before you do go get to that stage, you've identified if it if it is actually um, just for the taste, and you're not actually hungry, or it's just a habit. I love that. And I guess a really important question to help with that, especially if you're somebody that's really caught up in that sugar craving cycle after dinner. A really great question to ask yourself is, will one square do? Like is one square enough? Mm-hmm. And if the answer is yes, it's likely that you probably just want a little bit of a taste. And if you can stop there, then that's wonderful. But if you sort of sit there and you think, well, one square do, and you're like, no, absolutely not. I will finish that block. You know that there's some sort of emotional driver underlying that desire to eat far more of it because you know your body doesn't need it. It doesn't need it for nutrition or for fuel because you've just had dinner. You're looking to soothe some sort of emotion 
which was never really hungry to begin with. And because you were never really hungry to begin with, you'll always eat far more of it than you ever intended. So I guess that it would you agree? It's just a wonderful question to ask yourself. Will one square do or will a tiny amount be enough? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, I think to go along with that, identifying, um, you know, what, what led to me feeling like this chocolate? Did I come up with it myself or did, you know, my husband grab some chocolate and now I'm thinking about chocolate Mm -hmm. or like you said, did I see a commercial? What was the, the, um, the initial trigger for that? And that can sort of help you determine if it was something that you truly felt like and wanted, or if it was just something that um, your environment or somebody else chose for you. Mm-hmm. And if it is something that, say, um, a family member's brought chocolate into the lounge room or a commercial's come on TV or, you know, one of the worst ones is when you, like, drive past KFC and you smell it and you're just like, <laughs> oh, it smells so good. But I actually hate the taste of it, but I'm yeah. like, it actually smells so good. <laughs> or you walk past a donut shop and you're like, man, those donuts smell good, but I didn't want a donut five seconds ago. So if it is some sort of environmental trigger, what suggestions do you have for our listeners? Like, it, it would be very difficult if, you're tr- if you know that you don't actively want chocolate and your partner's sitting there munching chocolate right next to you on the couch yeah what are your suggestions for our listeners around that I think that the the best tip is just take like just take 10-15 minutes and see if you still want it you know I, I read this awesome book thinking fast and slow and it goes into um the two sides of the brain you know you've got your quick brain which is very impulsive it's I saw it I want it give it to me now yeah. And then you've got the slow brain, which is more sort of, um, you know, it's analytical, it's, it's, um, it's more based off um, what your needs are, and that takes a bit of time to click in, but it does ultimately actually take over, but you need to give it that time. So, you know, if you do drive past KFC, get in the furthest lane so you can't turn to KFC and keep driving. <laughs> and in about 10, 15 minutes, there's probably going to be another KFC, and if you still end up feeling like it, you might turn in, but by that stage, it's likely that that you've identified, you know, I've just had a long day, I'm going to get home and I'll, I'll have something to eat then. Um, so don't just set a timer. You might set a timer and then do something. So don't sit there looking at the chocolate for 10, 15 minutes. You might just, again, get up, go somewhere else, make yourself a cup of tea, go for a quick walk, call someone, do something that's not going to be um, conducive with eating chocolate. You know, you can't really eat chocolate and drink tea at the same time or I, I'm, I'm sure I'm sure a lot of people enough to, but, <laughs> but something that's that's going to make it a bit more difficult. Yeah, that's great. And even just removing yourself from the environment in general as well. You know, that's another great tip is just if, you know, someone else is sitting there and there's a family member eating something that you know you don't really want, but you know that you'll be tempted to, just remove yourself from that environment. Go upstairs, go and have a hot shower, go read a magazine and think to yourself, once you're away from that food and away from that environment, do I still really want it? And then ask yourself that question again. Am I really hungry? Will one square do is a small amount going to be enough? And if the Says yes, and sure, you can go back downstairs and have a small amount of it and enjoy it purely from the taste and the enjoyment perspective. But if you're upstairs and you think, no, you know, I don't really want that food, I'm just feeling a little bit, um, you know, emotional or a bit bored or a little bit stressed or something like that, then go and soothe those emotions in in another way. Absolutely, absolutely. And ultimately, that's just going to lead to you feeling better rather than, you know, going and having the chocolate immediately and, and still having those feelings of stress or whatever it is, but now also feeling really down on yourself. So so I think, yeah, it always just comes back to understanding that, that why and that driver and dealing with that first. Mm, wonderful. And that, I guess, leads me into my next question that I had for you, which was really around social eating and social events. Again, a lot of people, they do really well when they're by themselves, but then, and I guess sometimes this comes back to that over-restriction that we talked about. They get into a social event and there might be a big buffet of food or a whole table of, you know, treats and cakes that everybody's bought, and they just feel like they sort of lose control and they have to eat everything. So what tips do you have for our listeners at home who want to maintain their health and want to maintain maintain a healthy lifestyle, but seem to sort of lose control when they're in social situations or always seem to make decisions that don't make them feel so great at the end of the day? Yeah. Yeah. Great question. You know, social occasions are always going to be there and I think they're important to attend. You know, our health is more than just uh, what we're eating. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's the social aspect of that as well. You know, spending time with the people we love and enjoying, you know, celebrating special occasions. So I think it's really important for those social occasions to first, um, just identify what it is that you're really there for. You know, are you just there for the desserts? 
probably not. You're probably there because, you know, it's a really good friend's birthday and you're catching up with other friends you haven't seen in a while. So I think putting more focus and shifting it towards what you're actually there for. I want to have great conversations and catch up with people I haven't seen in ages or I want to make my friend feel really special on her birthday. And putting more of an emphasis towards that naturally sort of takes away a bit of the focus from the food. Um, the other part of that is is understanding and, and just um, accepting that you, you're not going to be eating the same every day and, and nor should you. It would be really boring. Um, I read something really, really interesting that sort of summed this up well, which was like we don't wear the same um, outfits and clothes every day. You know, we wear swimming costumes at the beach and and we wear, um, you know, a, a nice ball gown if we're going to like an awards night or a wedding. Um, and it, there's a reason for that because it's, it suits a situation. You know, if you're at someone's birthday, you know, if you're at your mum's birthday and, you know, she's made this amazing cake, and you decide not to have a slice to celebrate her birthday, um, even though you do really want to have it, um, you're probably not going to be feeling great and you're probably going to end up leaving there feeling really down and restricted and probably going to that block of chocolate later in the day. So, so allowing yourself these foods but making sure that you understand that there's an appropriate time um, and then there's an appropriate amount and when you do have it, to really enjoy it, when you choose it for those reasons, without guilt, without shame, without any of that, because it's not detrimental to your long-term health um, when eaten in that way. Um, and I, I think in, in other social situations where it might not be a birthday or a special occasion, it's just, you know, you know we go out, you know, to just catch up and, and, and as a regular thing. Um, I think that you can, you can create um, – your little changes in, in what you do around food, um, you know, for example, at, at, at restaurants, you know, for sharing meals, it, it might be um, rather than just sort of grabbing things continually and not having an idea of how much you're eating. Um, I really like the strategy of sort of having your plate and putting what you want on your plate um, and seeing it in completion before you start eating, which can sort of give our brain that, that sense of, okay, I'm, I'm having a full meal, not I've just had a mouthful, but lots of different mouthfuls. Um, you know, eat, I think eating out is, is a, is an interesting one. You know, I'm, I'm a huge fan of, you know, my, my husband's a real foodie and he always wants to go to the new restaurant or cafe or whatever's opened up. And, and I really enjoy doing that. Um, but, but when you do that, you, you do need to, um, when you do that often, um, you do need to be mindful of, of the choices that you, you do make. And choosing something you're going to enjoy, but if it's something that isn't necessarily going to provide a lot of nutritional value and it's going to provide a huge amount of energy density, it might be choosing to share that. You can enjoy it. You can still get some of it um, and taste it and really enjoy every aspect of it, how it looks, how it tastes, all of that, but you're, you're sharing with somebody. So you're also enhancing that sort of social aspect and then overall reducing how much you're getting. Um, so, so just a few different things, but I think person to person, it's really looking at, you know, which situation it is, what what am I there for, um, how can I get the most enjoyment out of this situation in different ways other than food, and then when you do go for those foods because it is appropriate, looking at ways that you can um, monitor the amount so that you get that enjoyment without necessarily um, overdoing it. Mm. I love that. And my favorite suggestion was you saying, you know, just remember why you're there. You know, it's not often we place so much emphasis on the food because food is such a important social aspect for all of us. But sometimes we forget, you know, the real reason that we are there to, um, you know, catch up on relationships and that sort of thing and celebrate people's birthdays or, you know, whatever celebration it is that we're celebrating. And that sort of gets lost in the food and the anxiety and the guilt that goes with that seems to take over sometimes. So just really focusing on why you're there and emphasizing the person that you're there to see or visit or catch up with as well, I think is so powerful. Yeah, absolutely. Now that brings me to my last question that I had um, for our listeners. Now they wanted to know some tips, um, I guess, for a lot of people who might have office jobs or desk jobs. So again, they say, you know, I do really well. I pack my lunch. I have all these healthy things around me, but there's always a morning tea and I'm almost expected to eat something or there's after work drinks or celebrations or the lolly jar comes out at 3 p.m. and they pass it around and you almost get like a, like a bad look if you don't take one. So people are sort of asking, how do you deal with that office sort of type job where you don't get many steps in throughout the day there's always sort of some sort of really high calorie high you know energy dense food around and there's sometimes a bit of pressure to eat because someone's always made a cake there's always a celebration there's always you know friday afternoon drinks how do how do people manage that and and still lead a healthy lifestyle long term 
Yeah, yeah, and this is a really, really, really common one because you know offices and workplaces they they do tend to um, in, encourage and really have a lot of these um, you know not so great um, environmental cues like lolly jars and and regular morning teas around. Um, you know, one of the first things um, that that's really important to remember is it's okay to say no. And often when you do actually sometimes um, say no in, in that situation where you don't feel like it, you don't want it, and you build that confidence, saying no just once the first time makes it a lot easier the following times. And what I found with a lot of clients that have trialed this is that their colleagues who also had similar struggles and challenges, um, once one person sort of says, actually, I don't really feel like it today, it gives permission to the rest of the group to also do that. Um, you know, morning tea can be a, a difficult one, especially if it's in a meeting. So it's like it's there, you're looking at it, you can't just sort of avoid the kitchen. Um, and in that case, I do encourage if morning tea is a time that you are genuinely going to be a bit peckish and hungry, bring another snack along. You know, you might just bring a piece of fruit or a small tub of yogurt with you. So you do have something to have. And when people say, oh, you know, you're going to have morning tea and put that pressure on, you go, oh, I've already packed mine. Now I've got one today and I'm enjoying whatever it is that I'm having. Um, rather than sitting there and you are hungry and you're just looking at something that um, that you're, you're not necessarily wanting. Um, so being prepared and having things instead of can be really helpful, but then also just constantly reminding yourself that you're in control of the choices you make, not somebody else. Mm-hmm. And although it's extremely difficult, especially the first time, to sometimes say no, um, once you get into uh, building up that as, as your script, it becomes, again, more of an automatic habit. Um, so I think that's a, a, a good one. Um, alcohol and, and drinking, Friday night drinks are, are another common one. Um, you know, there's, there's nothing wrong with having you know, a glass of wine or, or a drink every now and then. Um, but if it's just because it's Friday night drinks and everyone else is drinking, you don't feel like drinking, um, have something else. You know, I, I understand the, the sort of the feeling of just standing there with two empty hands when everyone's holding a drink. So, so definitely put something in your hand because if there's nothing in your hand, you're more likely to have somebody put a drink in there. Um, <laughs> but go to the bar and, you know, you know make, make a drink that looks really exciting. Like get a soda water, chuck some lime and some mint in there. It looks like a mojito. You're going to feel special. It's going to taste great and sip on that. Um, so if you've if you've determined for that night you don't feel like drinking, put something else in your hand and really enjoy that. And like we said before, focus on why you're there. Catching up with colleagues, celebrating the end of the week, just relaxing and getting ready for the weekend. It's not for the alcohol. Um, so that's a, that's another good one. Mm, and I just love how you mentioned that when you say no, it kind of gives p- p- other people permission to say no as well. And I feel like that's the same with alcohol. Like there's so much social pressure. If you go to something like a celebration or Friday night drinks to have a drink and the minute that you say no, other people almost want to make you feel bad or guilty for it, but they're not doing it I guess because they're a bad person, they're almost doing it to justify their own behavior. They sort of see that you having a drink as well justifies it and makes it okay for them to have a drink. So by you saying no, that sort of makes them question, oh, do I really want to drink? And I guess their first response is that sort of just to sort of hit back with, oh, no, you you should have a drink or no, you definitely, it's Friday night, everybody's drinking. And they sort of just want to justify their own behavior. Do you sort of find that experience with your clients as well? They feel that, that pressure to have a drink because other people... I guess they're trying to justify their own behavior and make that seem okay. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's absolutely true. And the other one is is sometimes just an assumption that the, that the other person wants to have a drink. So say it might be at a restaurant and, you know, the, they bring around the wine menu and it's sort of like, oh, you know, should we get a bottle of wine? And mm-hmm. you're thinking, oh, I don't want to be the person to say no because I think the other person wants it. And they're thinking the exact same thing about you. And then you, now you've got, you know, two people having a bottle of wine that they're not enjoying just because they assume the other person wanted it. So I think yeah. you're putting yourself first and really just saying what you want. And, and the worst that can happen is the other person end up going, well, I still want a glass. I'll have a glass and they get a glass. So again, you know, sometimes we can build up the, the consequence in our head, this, you know, disaster that will happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but when we think about the worst case scenario, it's, it's, it's never actually anything, anything bad. Um, so, so I think, yeah, just, just, just challenge yourself next time there's a situation you're in that you don't want to be in or, or don't want to participate in, just say no and see what happens. 
Yeah. Well, once you see that, you know, the, the roof didn't fall in and, 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 and nobody's head exploded, then the next time it comes around, it's a bit easier um, and, and it just continues from there. Yeah. And I love that. And I think even a tip that I give my clients is make your make your, I guess, expectation clear from the very beginning. I think, as you mentioned, like when it comes to the moment and there's that awkward, does she want to drink? Does she want dessert? Like, I think I'm going to say yes, because I think that she wants dessert, but I don't know if I should say no or not. But if you make your expectation clear from the outside, like, oh, you know, Michelle, I'm so happy to see you today. I can't wait to have a really lovely dinner. Just let you know, I'm not going to be drinking today. You know, I just feel like I wake up with such a clearer head in the morning, but I really want you to go ahead and have one if you feel that need. And then when the waiter comes around with the menu, there's not that awkward pause and people are sort of thinking, should I get a drink? Everybody else is getting a drink. I don't want to be the last one out. You've already made your sort of your expectations clear for the night and there's no sort of pressure for you to have to change your mind anymore. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Mm. So I think that we have talked about amazing concepts then you've given our listeners so many golden nuggets today and that's probably all that we have time for today but i know that you do offer um online consultations as well so where can people find you on social media do you have a website that they can contact you book in with you with yeah absolutely so um i'm on instagram mainly and my handle is at the lifestyle dietitian underscore au um, and I have a, a link in the, the bio section to my website, which is just thelifestyledietitian.com.au. Um, and, and I work from um, my, my private practice in Sydney and I work with clients one-on-one, both face-to-face, but also online with um, people all around Australia and the world. So if you do want to book an appointment, you can book it through the website or you can get in contact, um, you know, message me on Instagram or send me an email or, or, or a call um, and we can definitely um, discuss ways we can work together wonderful well thank you so much um, for joining us today michelle make sure everybody goes and follows michelle at the lifestyle dietitian on instagram and reach out if you have any further questions for her or you want any sort of clarification on anything that we talked about today as well um, that's um, all we have time for today so thank you so much for joining in and we will catch you guys in the next episode